Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Uh, today, we could start with uh, just, just one one weird fact. Uh, a long time ago, super producer Casey Pegram and friend of the show, Paul Deccant, got in a bit of an argument. I don't know if you remember this, Casey. It was an argument about milk. Did you hear about this, Noel? No, but I love a good milk controversy. Spill it. I'm not sure I even remember this argument. Do tell, Ben. So I think enough time has passed that it's safe to say, Casey, you and Paul are still friends. But Paul has a Midwestern background. He is also the super producer on stuff they don't want you to know. And I was present for a time when uh, Casey and Paul had this continuing discussion over whether milk was a beverage or an ingredient. Do you remember that now, Casey? I really do not. I have I have zero opinion on this. Uh, I guess I would go beverage. Okay. Beverage, he says. I mean, I think clearly it's both. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think there are some people that... It always reminds me of the scene in Anchorman where uh, a downtrodden Will Ferrell uh, as uh, Ron Burgundy is uh, walking around San Diego disheveled after he's lost his job. Spoiler alert for, you know, Anchorman, I guess. But uh, he's drinking milk and it's, it's so hot. Perhaps milk was the wrong choice of beverage. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really think of milk as being refreshing. I think of it as something you like, you know, dunk a cookie in, um, you know, drink it with a piece of cake. But I wouldn't really drink milk as like, you know, to, to re-energize myself or hydrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something kind of gross about the idea of substituting milk for like Gatorade or something. It's kind of nasty. True, mm-hmm. true. It's also it, the ability to drink milk into adulthood is the result of a mutation. Let's make no bones about that. But you know who's really into milk? Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. Yeah, he was. He actually drank so much of the stuff uh, as a result of his, I think he had like bad gut 
bacteria or something like that and mm-hmm. had like a long standing history of uh, of stomach troubles and he felt like drinking milk w- was going to help him with that doctors diagnosed him having a duodenal 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 ulcer um, and he was at the time in 1925 had to kind of like disappear from the public sphere for a little while and he adopted this extreme new diet that consisted of tea uh, something called pain biscottato which is just dry toast, uh, boiled fruit, and milk. Um, And he had to have that regimen three times a day. Uh, And he had given up alcohol, too, at the time, um, because that doesn't do very good stuff to your stomach if you're having digestive troubles. And he gave this very telling quote about his feelings on milk. Uh, He clearly believed it was a beverage and not not uh, exclusively an ingredient. He says, I drink it at the table, small gulps, so that it may properly salivated milk is a wonderful food perhaps the best food known to man this one glass of milk contains enough nourishment to sustain me until the midday meal six hours hence mm-hmm. and this story that we're about to embark on uh, does contain a lot of Mussolini. if you were looking at the ingredient list of this ridiculous history episode it also contains uh futurism it contains some wartime information, and it contains a, a lot of very weird stuff about milk. I hesitate to bury the lead, but we can also build toward it. The headline is this. Eventually, Mussolini was so into milk that he thought it wasn't just the best food known to man. It may also be a form of clothing. You did not hear that wrong, ridiculous historians. A form of clothing. It kind of starts with something called futurism, which I I think the three of us are down with. It's a early 20th century artistic movement. A lot of it was centered in Italy and it, it really emphasized dynamism, the energy and power of the machine and the, the frantic frenetic pace of modern life. So during the second decade of the 20th century, 1910s or so, the movement's influence expanded and spread across the majority of Europe, uh, the Russian avant-garde loved it. Uh, you'll probably associate it most often now with, what would you say, visual arts and poetry, probably? Yeah, or yeah, absolutely. Or like, I, there's a really great um, cartoon. I think it's called like The World of Tomorrow or something along those lines. I think it's a, a, a Chuck Jones cartoon where it, it shows all of these amazing, you know, innovations that will potentially take place in the future, obviously with a kind of a comical bent. And I believe there's like a space baby in it at some point, And there's like a car that'll like shave your face for you while you're driving and all that kind of stuff. So it certainly was a zeitgeisty kind of thing. And exactly like you said, Ben, wrapped up in design or think the Jetsons, you know, that was a good kind of modern example of like futurism personified kind of as uh, as a comedy. And futurism, I guess, was first officially announced February 20th, 1909 in the Parisian newspaper Le Figaro. They published this manifesto by an Italian author named Filippo Tommaso Marinetti, and he had coined the word futurism as this this phrase that reflected his goal of getting rid of all that old stuffy junk from the past and celebrating all the new hip unsquare original things and so they really love technology they also this is the weird flex here they're also really into violence and conflict they said that's how we get rid of these traditional values and destroy these cultural institutions. So it, was a, it had this aggressive tone and it was supposed to get attention. It was supposed to be controversial. 
they were trying to be edgelords, you guys. That's what they were trying to do. They're so ahead of the curve. Really quick correction on my end. I sort of like smushed two ideas together. Uh, the uh, the Chuck Jones cartoon was called Rocket by Baby, which was about a space baby and also has heavy uh, futurist elements. And then the main one I was talking about was called The World of Tomorrow, which is a Tex Avery cartoon that like shows all of these like amazing inventions uh, that will exist in the future. Definitely uh, that all kind of don't work super well. So I have a question for you both. Uh, when, when, you, when you see the headline writ large, Mussolini predicted that wearable milk was the future of fashion. What do you picture? Because I had something very distinct that I pictured. Casey, you want to go first? Maybe like a layer of semi-transparent cheese or something. I don't okay. know. It's, it, when, I, when I first saw the phrase wearable milk, I was kind of grossed out by it. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, that might be kind of pleasant. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm keeping an open mind here. How about you, Ben? Uh, yeah, so I, I am all for firsthand investigation, so I took all my clothes off, I poured milk uh, atop my body, and for, uh, you know, for a while I was wearing it, just not consistently. Uh, it was a pleasant vibe. It was probably not safe for work. I don't think I can just wear milk at work, but in all honesty, I, I thought, you know, there's some material science in there, because you could build things out of proteins right in in different substances that's right oh you were you were way more barking up the right uh cow than i was what do you think of i kind of pictured it like being some sort of like like a wearable kind of plastic bag that was filled with milk think of like <laughs> a tr like a transparent plastic raincoat that like is hollow on the inside and full of milk okay okay so we were we were all three i think taking interesting explorations there. And, you know, I appreciate the compliment about thinking about the chemistry. I want to be fair. That was after I covered myself in milk and, and messed up a good part of my apartment. I can't wait to see those boudoir photos hit the internet. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, but I have to say, Ben, you're, you're spot on when you say this is all about material science, because at the end of the day, that is what this story is about. By the way, Mussolini also was really anti-waste. Um, mm -hmm. And the idea of this particular form of material science is you don't have to use fresh milk. You can use bespoiled milk. Sorry, I had to add the bes bespoiled. I just like that word. Uh, but you can use milk that's gone bad or substandard milk. That, like sometimes when the when the cows generate milk, there's a, like it has to be graded or whatever. And I guess if it's a lower quality, it, it gets tossed. But in this situation, you can actually use that uh, lower quality milk to extract these essentially like fibers. And there's a really cool video that we found in this research called Making Wool from Milk. And I think the beginning of it sums up the whole concept nicely. If we could roll that tape, that'd be swell. Baba Black Sheep will have to look to his laurels. For in the world of wool, he isn't the big noise he used to be. An Italian inventor has discovered how to get wool from milk. At the moment, it's just plain, unadulterated cow juice. But you ain't seen nothing yet. The milk goes through a whole lot of processes, each of which brings it nearer the consistency of wool. Watch how it grows. The finished article is delivered through a pipe, very much like milk. So in future, you'll be able to choose between drinking a glass of milk and wearing one. And unfortunately, as a podcast, you couldn't see all these crazy machines, but it's literally, you know, this these chemists that are pouring this milk into these beakers and kind of stretching it out into these ropey kind of gelatinous strands. And then they feed it into these machines that then pull it into longer gelatinous strands and then they dry it out, I guess. And then you've got these workers in this factory that are pulling it apart like cotton, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And people can't be blamed at this point for, you know, of course, it might sound like a hoax because this is the same part of the world that also once told people spaghetti grows on trees. Like Europe has had some weird innovations. Uh, and at first blush, this reminded me of that. But the difference is wearable milk or this fibrous material is real. And going back to the futurism, it comes from that because they also loved fashion. So since the publication of the Futurist Manifesto of Men's Clothing, there was this debate over how Italians should dress. And futurists wanted manufacturers to make clothing out of new materials, revolutionary alternative materials. They didn't just propose milk. They proposed paper, tinfoil, rubber, fish skin, and somehow gas. I'm still a little I'm not clear on the gas thing. If it was just like you're always kind of like pig pen in the peanuts or something. But it's strange because the manifesto of futurist women's fashion in 1920 added milk to the list and it didn't come out of nowhere. It wasn't just like some insane fever dream. Between 1904 and 1909, there was a German chemist named Frederick Totenhaupt who tried to turn milk into a kind of a silk substitute similar to a process similar to what you see in that video. His efforts uh, failed at first, but the futurists caught on to it, and they started saying, you know, milk it may be the, the fabric of the future. So this idea wasn't as nuts as it might sound. You know, wool is a protein, and on a molecular level, it has a, it's a protein with a similar structure to the protein found in milk, casein. All chemists needed to do was figure out how to convince the casein to assume a shape that sort of imitated the texture of wool. And when Mussolini, to your point, Noel, when he started pushing for uh, waste reduction, he was also pushing for increased self-sufficiency. He was like, I don't want to see us reliant on the British and the French and those Americans. So the futurists, they had a for a very short time, they had their own political party, the Futurist Political Party, and they merged with Mussolini's Italian fascist party, and they had a lot of goals for strengthening Italy's economy in preparation for the coming war. Remember, Futurism likes war too, and one of the things that they planned to do was to take the wild dream of milk clothing. Right. Uh, quick, quick aside, um, wasn't it kind of Mussolini that sort of coined the term fascism? Or did that exist pre him? Because it obviously didn't mean anything bad when he used it as the name of his party. <laughs> I think it just kind of got that rap over time. Yeah, it was definitely used by members of his movement. I think the first use was in 1915 from the fascists of revolutionary action. So the fascists are the fascists of revolutionary action. That's right. And they used it to refer to, again, not like some sort of totalitarian evil empire kind of regime. It was more the idea of a syndicate or a guild. And apparently the Latin uh, fascismo is, is a term that translates to a bundle of sticks, which there's also another very divisive term that's a slur that also translates to a bundle of sticks. I'm not going to say it, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So Italy, under this fascist government, is is being helmed by Mussolini, and he wants self-sufficiency, and he wants to prepare the economy in new, unorthodox ways. And one of the things they wanted to do was create artificial fabrics. This was a market that Italy had a good shot at further expanding in. And the Italian companies, 
took up the, the suggestions of the futurists. They started using organic materials to make textiles. Their first big success was rayon, an artificial silk made of cellulose. In 1929, Italy alone became the world's leading producer of rayon. Uh, they didn't stop there, though. They still, like when they closed their eyes, they dreamt of milk, which is a very weirdly specific, that's a rare insult. That I, that I think I could give to the fascist government of Italy at the time. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Building off of Totenhop's work, an Italian engineer named Antonio Ferretti perfected a process. He made a milk fiber he called la natal, a combination of the word lana, meaning wool, and Ital from Italia. And, and, and it actually worked. The cool thing is we know how it worked, right? The science is pretty interesting. Like, what's going on in that video we saw, Noel? Yeah, we were. I was kind of fumbling my way through trying to describe it, and here's a little bit better or more sciencey version. Um, acid is added to skim milk, uh, which separates out that substance you're referring to. I think it's pronounced casein. 
um, then that material is dissolved until it uh, becomes that viscous kind of gooey, strandy type uh, material that we're talking, almost like a dough. Um, and then next, the casein is forced through these spinnerets, kind of like a macaroni press. Have you ever watched any of those like really uh, satisfying videos of like macaroni noodles being pushed through the little molds and, you know, the little spirals or whatever, or the various shapes? A situation like that. So it's definitely like, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A um, industrial process using like heavy machinery. Um, and then they're hardened using a chemical bath. And then much like making noodles, they're cut into fibers of whatever length you need. And then it's it's dried again. And then you can actually, in the video, see workers separating them out by hand and then dumping them in these bins. And it's almost more like fluff at that point. Um, but that, that may not be exactly the right order of operations, but that is one of the, part of the process. It isn't described here, but it's in the video. Um, so what you do get is something that's very wool-like. So Mussolini loved this stuff. He thought it was beautiful. That was amazing. He thought this was a uh, uniquely Italian fabric for a uniquely Italian future. He thought Lan Ital was genius because the truth was Italy, like many, many other countries at the time, was wasting billions and billions of dollars per year in skim milk waste. So now, to the point you made at the top, Noel, this Lan Ital gave them a really smart really cheap way to repurpose it, and it gave them a lot of bang for their buck. 100 pounds of milk contained about 3.7 pounds of this protein casein, and that translated to 3.7 pounds of lawn it's all. That's a pretty good return on investment right there for something that would have otherwise gone uh, in the trash. And you really, there's nothing you can do with spoiled milk. You know, they say don't cry over spoiled milk. That's not how it goes. I think it's spilled milk. But still, there's nothing you can do with it. Uh, it's 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 absolute waste a product. Uh, so the there were some issues that had some features that were positive. You know, obviously the math works out, and it seems like a pretty um, good use of a material that would otherwise be useless. But it wasn't as strong or as stretchy as the real thing wool. Um, but Mussolini was so into it that he really wanted to, he wanted Italy to be this kind of purveyor of this futurist mentality. So this was also partly a kind of propagandistic move to kind of situate Italy um, as this, you know, very forward thinking uh, nation. So he wanted more of this kind of thing. So in 1935, after he invaded Ethiopia um, and was sanctioned heavily by the League of Nations, you know, because fascist dictator and all that, uh, Italy became even more isolated. Uh, so he really decided it was time to double down on this innovation of, of uh, Lanital. Yeah, it became this obsession for the government at the time. And the company that was manufacturing Lanital, SNIA Viscosa, they got tons of money and government aid, and they were getting all the levers of government pulled uh, such that they could immediately ramp up production. So by 1937, they had produced 10 million pounds of this wearable milk, and they started publishing propaganda posters that <laughs> were telling people to wear milk because it was like dressing in an Italian manner. And then uh, the futurists, who were still around, 
love this invention, of course, because it makes them feel like they were right all along. And so they praised the fascist government at the time. And the guy we mentioned who made that earlier manifesto, Marinetti, started writing poems for this company, SNIA Viscosa. His 1938 poem praises the textile manufacturer. And then this other poem, the simultaneous poem of Italian fashion, also thanks the company for being so Italian. Like, literally, it's exemplary Italianness. Uh, but his most memorable poem in this, in this regard is his poem of the milk dress, which was published in, like, a little propaganda pamphlet booklet. And they have, they have lines like, And let this complicated milk be welcome. Power, power, power. Let's exalt this milk made of reinforced steel, milk of war, militarized milk. It worked. That's the weirdest part. That poem worked. Uh, it reminds me of uh, a funny bit uh, of a British uh, comedy series that many of you might be familiar with called The Mighty Boosh. There's a character named Howard Moon, and he's obsessed. In the first season, they work at a zoo, him and his uh, partner, Vince Noir, who's kind of like a fashion plate, kind of hipster mod. And Howard is obsessed with this woman uh, whose name I'm forgetting. And he writes her these poems that he's too shy to to read to her, but they all use the metaphor of cream. And he refers to himself as uh, England's premier cream poet. So, you know, it's, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Here's an excerpt from one of Howard Moon's uh, cream poems. He goes, and your nose like a delicious slope of cream, your ears like cream flaps and your teeth like hard, shiny pegs of cream. Yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, so maybe maybe they're taking some inspiration from this guy who's a real-life milk poet. I would like to think so. I like the phrase milk of war. It's, it's, it feels like it's a, good, it's a good concept album name for a metal band. Is that the opposite of the milk of human kindness? It's definitely, I mean, it's, it's definitely a different kind of milk. And I was also thinking like gods of war, dogs of war. What is it, cry havoc, let loose? The milk of war. I, <laughs> I love it. I'm I'm here for it, Ben. Well, we'll see where we'll see where it goes, Noel. Perhaps we have a future as dairy-based poets ourselves. Will we be as successful as Marinetti? Well, it's a that's a uh, it's a tall order, or should I say, a tall milkshake? Because La Natal was everywhere in Italy, and people started praising it in other countries. Uh, There was a British publication, the Children's Newspaper, that reported on this in April 1937. Was it like a Sesame Street-type situation? Why is it called the Children's Newspaper? That's an odd name for a newspaper. It was made of children. This was a very weird time. It would appear so. They were just material science run amok, Mm -hmm. is what I would say. Uh, But yeah, I mean, milk wool was used to make these uh, very, you know, fine Italian suits and dresses and garments and even like flags. And this order had gone out, you know, from the government because they ruled all this stuff with an iron fist that flags and banners should be made of this milk wool. Um, and because it was a nationalist kind of vibe, right? Then in 1938, SNIA Viscosa, the company that you mentioned, um, was hell bent on spreading the milk, the, the gospel of milk based clothing 
around the world. They wanted to go global with this. Um, and in two years, they had sold patents to eight different countries in Europe, mainly Holland, Poland, Germany, Belgium, and Japan. Uh, also France, Canada, Czechoslovakia, and England. So uh, there's only one country absent from this milk wool craze. And I think we can guess which one that was. Um, this is the good old US of A. Yeah, that's right. The Viscosa saw huge potential in the United States. It's a big country. It has an enormous dairy and agricultural infrastructure already. And they also knew that Americans had been thinking about this for some time. Since the early 1920s, there had been discussion in trade circles and agricultural colleges about using this protein, using casein as a bridge between agricultural and manufacturing sectors, again, as a way to avoid tremendous skim milk waste. They were just, they were taking a, a milk bath on 50 billion pounds of milk per year. Totally. I mean, that wasn't a uniquely Italian problem. I mean, milk waste is milk waste wherever you are in the world. It reminds me of that episode we did about uh, repurposing feed sacks uh, into dresses, mm -hmm. uh, only kind of the other way around. Even if there were problems with this material, you'd think they could have at least used it to make feed sacks, especially since it was such a part of like the farming industry, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Didn't really come up in the research, but it's just something that occurred to me. Yeah, yeah. Originally, the U.S. solution was going to be something like process this waste milk so that we can use the protein in glue, in buttons, and combs. It was used during World War I in a paint. They made milk paint for airplanes. It was in piano keys uh, by 1940 or so. Like, they were doing their, their own stuff, too. They just hadn't gotten to the clothing part yet. And that's why this Italian company, SNIA Viscosa, thinks, why not? Why don't, why don't we do it? This seems like a cool job for some people. Maybe not me, but for some people. They sent fashion emissaries to promote La Natale clothing, like socialites, well-connected people. I think there was uh, some Italian aristocrats they sent. I feel like today that'd be somewhere in the neighborhood of a combination of like an Instagram influencer and a diplomat. Exactly. Very well put. One of these in particular was a journalist um, who became a uh, Italian princess by the name of Marguerite Catani. Um, and she promoted this material in New York. In 1937, there was an article in Time magazine that also described Catani's ability or efforts to recruit American socialites, folks like Mona Bismarck, uh, who Chanel once um, named the best-dressed woman in the world and had her model uh, these high-end milk-based dresses. I, I can't not chuckle when I say milk-based dresses. Uh, and this was something that was like put front and center in front of these American audiences. Yep, and it paid off. Paid off, by the way, in 1941, a team for the ARA, the Atlantic Research Associates, which is a division at the time of the National Dairy Corporation, starts producing what is essentially Lan Ital under the name Aralac which is <laughs> Lanatol and Aralac sound like characters from Tolkien or something, but that's Aralac is A-R-A, as in American Research Associates, plus Lac, Latin for milk, L-A-C. And the fibers are a hit. 
The New York fashion scene is thinking, wow, Arlac clothing is the way of the future. It's like a short, like people wear this. They're so sophisticated, you know, they're so elite. They're so fashion forward, onward to the future. And the future is milk. Uh, but then the U.S. joined World War II and Arlac became much more valuable for military purposes. It was blended with rayon to produce hats. And that means, here's our trivia fact that comes to us courtesy of Life magazine. This means that during World War II, a lot of American soldiers literally wore milk into battle. It's so weird. And then like Lanitol, Aralac spread throughout the United States. Maybe it wasn't quite the level of popularity that Lanitol reached in Italy, but you could, in the 40s, you could find Aralac in coats and suits and dresses. And a lot of people didn't know either that they were wearing milk. Well, sure. And I would maybe argue that it wouldn't have been as as big of a thing as it was in Italy, because obviously Italy was a totalitarian fascist regime and he could basically force companies to use the stuff. Whereas mm -hmm. in America, they would have had to adopt it uh, willingly, you know, and, and uh, uh, the market would have had to adopt it and the um, audiences would have had to adopt it. True. Yeah. There are more decision makers involved. And maybe that's why after a time, milk-based fabrics started to fall out of favor, not just in the U.S., but in, in the world. Because, you know, we mentioned earlier that Lanitol was like wool, but it wasn't as durable. It could break easily. Threads could come out when you ironed it. But the weirdest thing, and this is something I was thinking about, too, before we started digging into this, the weirdest thing about Lanitol and Aralac, I believe, was the smell. When they got damp, they sometimes smelled like sour milk. So imagine Ew. you're out on a date with your, like Tom Waits says, if you've got your arms around your sweet wind and your Oldsmobile, you got the top down, it starts raining, and all of a sudden, your date points out that you smell of spoiled milk, of bespoiled milk, if you prefer. I do prefer, but uh, and I appreciate you thinking of me there, Ben. It's true, um, and and we're going to get to some modern uh, kind of innovations in in milk uh, based fiber. But for now, uh, it 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 kind of fizzled, right? Mm hmm. Yep, that's correct. And Viscosa, the Italian company, started focusing their energy on other alternatives, but they took a hit for the war effort because they, like the U.S. forces, uh. The Italian forces had a lot of Lanitol in their own battle gear, their boots, their blankets, their uniforms. And Mussolini thought this would help them resist poison gas because, again, Mussolini loved milk. Milk can do no wrong if you're Mussolini. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. 
on demand, temp to hire, part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The problem is that Lanatol didn't really help Italian soldiers. There were cheaper products that were already flooding the market. There wasn't a clear advantage to Lanatol other than being a creative way to use milk waste. And so it started to fizzle out in Italy as well for a time, as you said. Yeah, that's right. Um, And yet here we are in uh, the year 2020 with if there was ever any year that sounded more futury, I, I don't know of it. Um, we're in it, guys. And there certainly are some of those futury things that maybe were uh, portrayed in that uh, Tex Avery cartoon, like video chat uh, and, and such. That's the one that I always thought was the most futury, like those, you know, communicators and Star Trek and all that. So we have that. Uh, a lot of the technology that we have is a little more subtle. Sure, we have electric cars. We certainly don't have flying cars or suitcase cars or any of that stuff or food in pill form. But we do have wearable milk, uh, and it is making a comeback in the world of haute couture. Hope I pronounced that right. Haute couture, whatever. Uh, Casey, what, what do you think? Ho, ha, couture. Is there is the T silent? Haute couture. Haute couture. Thank you, sir. High fashion. Casey on the case. Pret a porter. Was that a film? Was a friend that means ready to wear? It's a Robert Altman film. Yeah, that's right. I haven't seen that one. I've heard it's good. Casey has nothing to say about this. Uh, <laughs> not your not, favorite. Not one of his fine. Not one of his. Yeah. Okay, fair. Uh, but it's true. It has remained kind of top of mind for some futurists for obvious reasons, right? Like it really does feel like a smart use of a waste product that, that I still haven't heard in any of this research any other good uses for. Uh, you did mention at the top end that you could use those fibers for other things like glue and buttons and all that. And maybe that's a thing that's done. I don't really know. But in 2011, uh, a German-based clothing company called Kmilch, Kmilch, because it's Milch in German, and the Q could be silent. It could just be Milch, but I'm going to go with Kmilch. Um, and they designed 
uh, or manufactured and designed all of their uh, highly fashionable products using casein. And it all started with a German microbiologist, interesting combo, and designer named Anka Domaska. Um, and they claimed that their products require fewer chemicals than Lanitol in the 1930s and 40s. She actually single-handedly, or with a small team, developed a better process than those Italian scientists uh, had back in the 30s. And a single dress costs between $200 and $230 uh, and is made from six liters of milk. Yeah, yeah, and there are, there are other people who are coming into the fray here. Uh, you can see articles from places like Reuters reporting how other high and fashion labels are selling milk-based clothing. Uh, Uniqlo has a popular apparel line called Heat Tech, and that's partially made from milk proteins. Mademoiselle Chichi is selling milk-based clothing, and now, you know, and these are modern days, the world is threatened by some pretty catastrophic consequences of global warming, and folks are looking for alternatives to oil-based products like polyester and so on. So it, the question is, does it make sense to give milk clothing a second chance? The answer is yeah, and there are a lot of people behind it. We know that uh, there is ongoing research. People have already created softer, more durable versions of these materials. Hopefully, they've chosen better brand names for them. Better than Kmirk? But Well, I mean, Lanitol, I think because on the page, it, look, it, it visually rhymes with genital. That's weird. Mm -hmm. Or Geritol, which I've never understood what it actually is. I know it's a, 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 a medication over-the-counter that the elderly take. I assume it's for digestion, but I'm not really sure. And Aralac, which is a, uh, which sounds like Zarlac or something. It sounds like a weird monster from a sci-fi film. So agreed. But what's what's it what's in a name? You know, the answer is a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, it's the barrier for entry for a lot of folks, right? <laughs> That's true. Um, I, I did want to mention. Uh, I, I saw a really cool video that you can find. Uh, online. If you Google milk clothing, uh, I think that's really all you need to do. You'll find a video um, from Euromax with two X's because it's extreme adaptable uh, called Clothes from Milk. And it, it, it talks about this designer, Anka Damaski. At the time, this came out in 2012. She's only 28 years old, uh, the biologist and fashion designer we talked about. And she walks through the whole thinking behind it, but she never credits the Italians. I gotta, I gotta falter for that. Like everything in the in the piece and the way she talks about it, it almost makes it seem like she came up with this idea alone. And even the process, it shows the factory looks almost exactly like that uh, situation in that very early video, um, the old timey one from the '30s. Um, but they did apparently solve the smell problem because apparently these garments do not ever smell, and they are pretty easy to care for, and they they feel good. Because that was another problem with the original formula, is I think it wasn't as malleable or stretchy, and it also had a bit of a roughness to it that wasn't pleasant. Mm -hmm, which is why they combined it with a lot of stuff. But this, this other, uh, this new milk clothing design also requires uh, less water to make, so and it, and it balances out against the production process of cotton. So there is a very real chance that in the future, dear ridiculous historians, you too could be wearing the latest uh, in dairy fashion, which is milk clothing. Uh, so maybe our answer to that that question uh, that Casey and Paul had, 
years ago. Is milk an ingredient or is it a beverage? Perhaps now it's just a pair of slacks, hats, dresses, underwear. I don't know. There's a heat problem there. But if they fix the smell. Yeah, they fix the smell. Um, yeah, it's funny. This whole time we've been doing this, I've been trying to think of what the really popular milk ad campaign slogan was. Got milk. And I, yeah, it was got milk. But I very incorrectly in my mind was milk, the fresh maker. No, that's not it. It was Mentos. And then I also thought milk, it's what's for dinner. Also not sure. I believe that was beef. And then there was milk, the other white meat. And then there's um, New York milky. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys know who directed those uh, Got Milk ads, by the way? No, who was it? No, was it like Steven Soderbergh or David Fincher or something? Michael Bay. Oh, my God. Oh, That's where he got his start. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, okay. That's a good one. So an explosive ad campaign if you can't do explosions. Exactly. That was that was pre... He didn't have the budget yet. I bet if he had, he would have figured out a way to shoehorn an explosion into those. Uh, but that, yeah, it's a really great um, milk-based trivia nugget to end on today. Uh, I personally found this subject delightful. Um, and it's really cool that it has such a full circle kind of uh, trajectory. And now here we are in the future, the actual future that the futurists were dreaming of, and perhaps milk will be part of your next outfit. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode, Ridiculous Historians. I, I know we've got a couple people in the crowd who are saying, well, are we only using milk from cattle? At this point, that seems to be the case. So if you want to get ahead of the fashion curve, maybe your next move is to get uh, milk from another mammal, uh, horse milk, goat milk, and so on. Let us know how it goes. Uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, we want to hear your favorite bits of trivia. I would like to hear uh, some of your favorite uh, commercial jingles. They don't have to have anything to do with milk. Uh, tell us all about it on the internet. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. I'd like to recommend Ridiculous Historians, our community page. But you can also find us not just as a show, but as individuals. Boy, can you ever. You can find me on Instagram at HowNowNoelBrown. How about you, Ben? Where can the folks find your internet presence? Thanks for asking, though. You can find me on Instagram at Ben Bolin. You can also find me on Twitter where I'm at Ben Bolin HSW. Thanks, as always, to our long-suffering super producer, Casey Pegram. Casey, I swear I'm not making up that story. You guys did have a weird conversation about it. I can remember some kind of long, protracted argument over nothing, so I, it probably was that. Was there also not a, a brief debate as to whether eggnog should be served hot or cold? Possibly. Oh. I would say cold again. Yeah, yeah. you don't remember any of these cream or milk-based arguments, Casey. No. You're cream blind. You got the dairy blindness, kid. Uh, but, but you'll soldier on. Uh, thanks also to, of course, Alex Williams. Uh, I don't... This is a great story, and I personally uh, I personally really enjoyed it. It cast Mussolini in a new light, but it didn't get me to the point where I feel like I should thank him. Nope. If that makes nope. sense. Nope, don't need to thank him. Okay. Uh, the moose, as I like to call him. Uh, huge thanks to Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Alex Williams, who composed this bangin' bop. Uh, Jonathan Strickland, the quizster, I believe we're due for a Zoom bomb any day now. Thankfully, not today. And thanks as well to Eve's Jeffcoat. Uh, thanks to you, Noel. And thanks to all, this is a sincere thanks. Thanks to all the uh, farmers and all the cattle who have made this possible. 
Oh, God, and we'd be remiss if we didn't thank researcher extraordinaire Gabe Luzier, who uh, wrote us a delightful email to demystify the pronunciation of his last name. It is, in fact, Luzier. Oh, man, the magic's gone. Well, Gabe, maybe his name is actually pronounced Gabe, and he just hasn't told us. Let's, let's get to season two of Gabe's weird name. And you know what? Let's have him back on the show. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.